We talk to entrepreneurs all the time about how their companies test products, how they fail quickly, and then how they learn. That's iteration, and it's at the heart of a solid way to design products and figure out where those products, especially in education, will make a difference. But what if schools did the same thing? If prospective school leaders with ideas for new models tested concepts on a small scale while getting feedback from parents and students, Sounds like an easier way to test and launch, and it might be a better use of one's time than focusing all of the energies on applying for a school charter and building a board. What Michael just described is the concept behind the Tiny Schools Project, an initiative led by Matt Candler of the New Orleans-based nonprofit 4.0 Schools. We're going to hear from him on how he's encouraging designers to test new types of schools, but at a small scale. That plus our weekly roundup of the EdTech News coming up. I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Betsy Corcoran. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast. Have you ever thought about joining EdSurge? Ooh, that's right. We're hiring. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area and you passionately care about how technology is affecting the way we teach and learn, take a look at the roles that we're trying to fill. We have spots open for writers, writers of English, writers of code, growth hackers, community builders. Yes, you might even get a chance to be on a podcast. (laughs) You can take a look at all of the positions on our jobs board or at edsurgeworkable.com. We might need a bigger podcast studio. Mm, No, I don't think so. (laughs) Another EdTech app is looking for a new home. This time, it's ClassOwl the student planning tool that at one time boasted 12 full-time employees and tens of thousands of student users. In an interview with Tony Wan this week, Class Owl's former CEO and president share their insights into why the business went south. And their story may have an all-too-familiar ring for some. A group of students built a product to address the pain points they and their peers felt in school, only to find that what's best for the end user is not always best for business. It's not just little companies, Michael, that may sometimes have a hard time figuring out whether the product they've designed really fits the needs of teachers, students, and classes. This week, Amplify said it was on the selling block. Tony Wan had a a great piece which uh, quotes a memo from Joel Klein about how he still believes what they're doing is exactly what needs to be done, but it may be ahead of the market. Now, another story that we had this week came from Mary Jo. She has a message for all the educators of the world. Make your own tools. Seriously. Well, why? One school in Philadelphia, the Science Leadership Academy, has been building its own system to support student-driven, competency-based pedagogy. And now that's getting picked up nationwide. Tool is called Slate, and it's a flexible, open-source platform that can be an SIS or an LMS or whatever alphabet city the school wants it to be. When Mary Jo visited the other schools in Philadelphia to see Slate in action, she saw just how homegrown tools can sometimes serve schools better than the existing options in the market. What does the Internet of Things look like in a classroom? Columnist Eric Horowitz looks at a study where researchers outfitted a classroom with sensors to measure how a number of variables affected students' focus. Researchers looked at details like temperature, noise level, and carbon dioxide levels. 
Preliminary results show that a lecture in a quiet room with plenty of breaks in speaking and a motivated lecturer would all be best for student focus. No surprises there. I was going to say, do we really need a study to tell us that? It's a good article. Mm, okay. So, Michael, do I own my domain if you're grading it? And huh. if you grade it, am I, as a student, really going to do something creative? Those were some of the questions raised this week by Andrew Reichert, a junior at Davidson College. So Davidson offers students their own web domains. But according to Reichert, traditional assignments don't necessarily empower students. Simply putting data online isn't enough. Rather, domains need to encourage and reward public scholarship and student agency and experimentation. Because after all, what's the point of, quote, owning a domain if all students do is post their homework assignments online. And now it's time for Kachings. Houghton Mifflin has acquired select ebook and technology assets from New York-based MeGenius, a digital library of children's books. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but we do know that HMH has purchased more than 700 interactive digital books. Charleston-based Blackbaud will acquire Smart Tuition, a developer of tuition payment software and services, for $190 million. Blackbaud offers data and financial services for nearly 30,000 schools and nonprofits around the country. And lastly, the final numbers for July are in. U.S. EdTech raised $73.3 million in July, around 14 separate deals. Congratulations to those companies and everyone else who raised money this week. And with that, we move into a very special and appropriate deep dive this week. Appropriate? Aren't all of our deep dives are appropriate? Uh, we, don't, we don't have an explicit rating yet for my tunes. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry about that, Michael. Okay, but given that teachers and students are starting to go back to school, the idea of books and one-to-one -one iPads and classrooms is on everybody's mind. And because we also had school on the brain this week, we decided to indulge ourselves and talk about the Tiny Schools Project, a pretty interesting concept that Matt Candler of 4.0 Schools has been championing. Now, you may think that tiny schools refers to the trend in micro schools that's becoming more and more popular. Think the alt schools of the world, uh, for example. But as Candler explains, it goes much deeper than that. Tiny Schools is about applying an entrepreneurial and lean startup approach to school model design. Mary Jo sat down with him to learn more. Thank you for taking the time out to chat with us today. Um, can you give us just a little bit of an introduction to what exactly the Tiny Schools idea is? What is the concept behind it? gigantic gap between 
say, for example, an experience like Startup Weekend, you know, there's a great opportunity on Startup Weekend to test an idea. Or if you're not even familiar with Startup Weekend, there's there's a way um, for folks to imagine a school, and then there are people out there, uh, whether it's the Federal Department of Education or whether they're foundations, who will say, here's a grant uh, to start your school. But if you say, if you ask this basic question, how do I test a school? There's, there's really not a lot out there, and I don't think there have been many people uh, who've been able to say, okay, how would you test a school? And so I think really over the last few years, high schools is a second really big aha moment for us in realizing, okay, there's a, there's a great need for people to test schools, uh, and tiny schools is a part of that. And talk a little bit about how tiny school sort of fits into that. What does it look yeah, like sure. to successfully test a new school model? Yeah. yeah, so I think the best way to describe tiny school is to ask that question. Like, what are the steps that someone would go through if the end game is, like, amazing, game-changing, truly inspirational new approach to school? And the starting point is gutsy, creative person with a hunch about how a school might be better. And so let me walk you through a couple of the most important steps in that process. I think if you look towards the end of that, at the establishment of a school, right, there, there are people that will help you. There are, there are ways to charter schools. There are ways to start ways to get funded for those schools. There are definitely ways to scale that school uh, if you've proven model works into you know, what a lot of people call a charter management organization. But for me, what's super interesting, and I think the place where much less uh, rigor has been brought to the conversation, is what happens before school opens. So I spent most of my career living life in the months and years leading up to the opening day of the school. And two big ideas that have, have sort of popped into my head, and it's like, man, I wish you were thought of this 10 years ago. One is, um, it's really best described as thinking about the idea of a food truck, right? So I think the coolest thing about food trucks is that they allow chefs and restaurateurs to bring the core elements of a restaurant to life at many times less expense and many times faster than building an actual restaurant. You know, so if, if we just for a second think about restaurants, before food trucks, it was incredibly expensive to test a new restaurant idea. You got to find a building. You got to find a chef. You've got to get, uh, uh, you know, you've got get uh, vendors. You've got to get insurance. You've got to get stuff. Uh, build a kitchen. Build a, a waiting. Uh, build a room. Um, and so it was millions of dollars in almost every city in this country to start a restaurant. But if you think about a food truck as a technology for testing, it's actually a really interesting innovation. So for, instead of a million dollars, for $10,000, a hundred times less, you could go buy a food truck and fill it up with food and drive it to your customers, even go to different neighborhoods and say, here's a sample of what you could eat in my restaurant. What do you think? And so for me, like at its core, tiny schools is a response to the basic question, what could a food truck type technology look like in school? 
Can you give us an example of some sort of school model or some sort of school design that you've noticed that seems to be utilizing what you're talking about in regards to that food truck type of iteration? Sure. So the first, absolutely. So Bricolage Academy is a uh, school that was launched through 4.0. In fact, Josh Denton, the founder, was a member of our first cohort at 4.0. And he had two years to design this school. Josh is a very experienced school um, school level leader. He ran the Achievement Network. He was a founding teacher at uh, KIPP in uh, Harlem, and he has a degree from Columbia and an MBA. And so there was uh, very early on in his mind, uh, not just Dodge, but actually really well-developed concepts of what a school might be. In fact, he called it Orleans Academy way back in the day in 2011 when we first started talking about this. Um, but instead of putting a charter together and putting a charter app out, he started going around the city in these very simple uh, meetups and family homes and asking those parents in neighborhoods all over New Orleans, what would you want to see in a school? Um, what's your dream school? Over and over and over again, he got feedback. The parents wanted a really diverse set uh, of other children for their kids to go to school with. They wanted their kids to go to school with families. Uh, who didn't look just like them, they weren't in the same neighborhood, but in fact were a representative mix of this very diverse and cool city. Uh, he also heard from parents that they really wanted their kids to be confident and creatively, so creative confidence and a diverse student body. Rose to the top in this year-long survey uh, that Josh did all around the city. So I think first, the first thing you notice in the design of Bricolage is a very a user-centric approach. You know, instead of saying, I know the perfect school for you, just take it. It was, look, I, I know what the schools look like, but I'm going to hold off on my opinion and start with yours. So I think there's this very basic concept of the very core to anybody doing good design thinking, right, or even lead development in software and say, let's put the user at the center. Um, so, so that's how Bricolage started. But then it was this next step that Josh took, I think, to me, really got us thinking about what now has become a, pro, a process of tiny schools. He said, I'm going to use some pop-ups. So in New Orleans, there are tons of restaurants that have come to life through food trucks, but there are others that have come to life through pop-ups where you, you know, go to someone else's restaurant and you do one meal. So you don't even need to spend the money on a food truck, but a pop-up is even cheaper. And so Josh did this at music festivals here in New Orleans. There are many. And any music um, festival sponsor with their salt will put a bounce house up in the corner of the you know festival for the families with kids so the kids can go in there um, and then go grab a beer and ask some other family to watch their kids while they go listen to music. So Josh would very cleverly put out a blanket uh, with some manipulatives and some really cool creative confidence uh, toys that he had uh, brought and he put up a little table. And he didn't even put a sign up about Bricolage Academy. He just stood there, uh, kind of acting all as if he had you know, sponsored the uh, bounce house, and uh, would talk to parents about his school and what they wanted in the school. And then for about an hour, he could experiment with what the school might look like, with what is now uh, his design lab, uh, a maker lab at the school. So he could just put up an hour-long version of that. And, and over time, he would start tweaking that a little bit. He'd try a new um, cardboard-based prototyping uh, technique, or he'd try uh, a new type of um, 
approach that he wanted to see what parents and kids thought about. It cost him nothing. Just a few hours of his time. And so, um, after about six months to a year of that, he then sat down with a school uh, in town, and uh, Jay Alton, who runs First Line School, he said, you know, I've got this curriculum that I want to be a part of my new school. It's based on design thinking and the maker movement. I'd like to test it at a little more intensive level than just pop-ups for an hour or for a Saturday. Uh, would you be down for talking about that? And Jay said, yeah, I'll give you 15 of my kids. You take 15 or so of your kids, and you can do an afternoon uh, experiment for a month. Um, and, you know, that uh, six months, uh, he did that for three months and then did another iteration. That, to me, is a really great example of what is now one of the most interesting schools in New Orleans, both socioeconomically diverse and focused on creative confidence, uh, all starting with an idea around, instead of just writing a charter app, I'm going to actually test my school in a tiny way, in a food truck or a pop-up kind of way. And that, if you go to Brick Lodge today, you'll still get a sense that this is a school that's sort of breathing and living uh, responsibly to the way its customers are interacting with it. And I think that's all based on the fact that it started with this very much uh, tiny school uh, mindset and the way Josh thought about putting it together. So you're so I'm hearing you talk about bricolage and you know I've I've as you know visited bricolage and loved what I've seen but bricolage is a very unique sort of school environment where it's you know small it's agile I'm wondering if the concept of tiny schools can apply to something larger than a one-off charter school or a micro school like alt school I mean do you think that the tiny school mentality is something that large public districts can take advantage of? And if so, how would they do that? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question, and it's one we're actively asking uh, in New Orleans. So, you know, watching Josh go through that process um, was really, he gets a lot of the credit for that, because he pushed back on the structure that I had in place at the time. I very much believe that you could just go see a school through osmosis and copy it, that that was like the best practice and school design, and, and Josh really pushed me to think, no, you need to create a space for people to try new models, um, but not have to go build a million-dollar you know, charter school to test their model. How can you test it in a way that looks more like what I asked Jay to help me with at first line? So in, in the first, in making, in taking what was just a one-off process for bricolage into a more formal sequence, we've created the Tiny Schools Project. There are four schools that are in the current cohort, cohort one, and each of those schools has to come to us with some way of even more formally asking an established school with strong practices, with good operational and good governance procedures in place to help them sort of act as this host body, you know, to create... um, the opportunity for this new school founder to really focus on that 15-kid user experience uh, and handle a lot of the other work. So, in fact, great question. And I think, at least theoretically, tiny schools could be done more effectively with even more um, promise if there's a partner that is already running good schools. Because what, what I found is the great the pop-up restaurant is even more powerful than the food truck example here, right? Like, if someone's got a, uh, a restaurant, they take Sundays or Mondays off. It's already sitting there. It's an asset that in very much sort of an Airbnb or Uber 
perspective on assets that sit unused, 98% of cars sit unused. Our cars that are privately owned are, are not being used 98% of the time. That's the core, uh, core aha moment behind the business as, as transformative as Uber. Well, guess what? A school district has that too. These assets that a school founder, that an aspiring school entrepreneur would desperately need, not just the physical space, but the capacity to have a captive audience of children and families that they can go talk to about their idea. I absolutely think this is possible. So in cohort number one of tiny schools, we have three schools um, that are testing in partnership with established schools. So um, Rooted School is a fantastic example of the concept that Bricklash brought to life, further evaluated and taken to another level. Jonathan Johnson is a former KIPP teacher with a high school model in Rooted, where every one of his kids will receive a fully paid internship at a high-growth, high-wage tech startup. And day one of his school will be uh, in a week and a half, and they will go visit five of the most exciting, fastest-growing startups in the city on day one of this pilot. Now, what's cool about this is those kids are actually enrolled and will remain enrolled for the entire pilot year in Algiers Tech Academy which is a part of Algiers Charter School Association, which is the largest provider of education services in Metro New Orleans. So it is, in fact, as big as some mid-size uh, small city districts. 10,000 or so kids go to Algiers Charter School Academy, uh, start going to that association. But there's incredible vision and incredible courage in Adrian um, Morgan's team there to say, look, we will take a risk with this new operator, we'll bring him in, let him have access to our children, because we think that we can actually learn a lot from Rooted's pilot if it's on our campus. We can learn from them about relationships with this very interesting new sector of the economy where we want our kids to have jobs over the next few decades. We can watch him test his idea because then some of our ideas we might be able to steal. And so, you know, what, what Adrian and Jonathan are doing is writing up what I think is pretty unprecedented, an MOU between these two entities, an aspiring charter school operator, and an proven existing large charter school operator. Um, there's no reason why you couldn't replace Adrian and Algiers with any school district, and there's no reason why you couldn't replace Jonathan, who's an aspiring charter operator, with a principal who's in that district who's trying to innovate within the district, whether you need charter schooling or not. So, yeah, I, I think in the next year we're going to learn a ton about how this basic concept of lightweight prototyping um, can happen in partnership with an established district and with an aspiring school founder. And I don't think you have to have charter schooling to do it. I don't think you have to be in New Orleans to do it. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think it's absolutely doable. If you look at you know any other industry, Look at the great skunk works. Look at Lockheed Martin. Look at Google Labs. Look at Mozilla. There's so many folks in other industries that, as established big firms, you know, have found a way that even within those firms to carve out a place where disruptive ideas can be tested at low risk. Uh, I absolutely think tiny schools um, can happen anywhere someone has the vision uh, and willing to take some some small and calculated risks. Uh, on new ideas. You know, that word, just quickly on that, that word risk, you know, we talk a lot about this. We talk about the word experimenting. We, we often talk about 4.0 being a place where you experiment with 
uh, not on and, and not to families. And I think that's at the core of what Tiny Schools has become, is it's become a really promising way to experiment with. And, you know, in all of these partnerships with Algiers in particular, we made sure that the families that were involved were volunteering, you know. And what has, for me, the most excitement, I think, about moving forward with this idea is that Tiny Schools is a way for families and kids to be a part of building the future of school. We know school has to get better. The question is, are we going to design it with them? Or are we going to go in our lab, design it, roll out these, you know, big, gigantic, uh, fairly untested things, try and tell people they're proven, but in fact, uh, we're unable to tell them that we've tried anything at all, that they aren't really based on any uh, tests, and they're not really based on any real human user feedback. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think absolutely this product, this idea I would love for people to take it and try it elsewhere. Um, and if people are interested in that, we'd love to hear more about what they're thinking because um, I think there's an idea that can, can happen anywhere. I have one more last very brief question, which is yeah. you, it sounds like there's some pretty key ingredients for making this tiny school's idea work. You need to be able to quickly and rapidly prototype. You need yeah. a good parent partnership. You need to be willing to work with the parents in the community. Is there anything else that you think is a non-negotiable ingredient to make something like this work? Yeah. Um, I think from our perspective, uh, the, the model, um, the school model itself that you are proposing, at least this is four point of this bias, I don't think we need, I think fundamentally over and over again, what I think we need and what we're demanding of the school founders that come to us are we want you to raise the expectations of what students can do in your model and we want you to push your own understanding, especially if you're an experienced educator, of how much ownership students can have uh, in their own learning. Um, I don't really want to waste all our time you know, testing school models that that aren't challenging us as educators. And so I think at its core, what we're most interested in um, is models that are focused on that. And then I think, as is with every startup that we uh, encourage and that we invest in at 4.0, the one thing I'm looking for in that school founder is, have they shown us a willingness to adapt to feedback from parents and students, right? So you mentioned prototyping, but really, I think this is just like a skill that leaders need to be taught. And I think we can we can teach it, but I think you need an instinct and a willingness to throw things out as kids and families have said, mm, it's not working. Um, so, you know, a commitment to designing it small is part of lean um, and prototyping as a, as, a, as a concept, but a willingness to respond and chuck it is very hard. You know, I think for those of us who've been educators, there's a part of us that feels certainty and sense of, like, we have to get this right. Um, and that's maybe the most surprising thing um, and humbling thing is we need people who are willing to strike a balance between saying, I will do whatever it takes to make this child successful, but I will also throw something out that I spent a lot of time on or I thought was really going to be great if the feedback from them is that it just didn't meet their needs. So, you know, I think that's a just, it's a paradox and a tension that I think anybody in this business has to, but it's to, a, to own and try and navigate. 
it's a useful tension and one that, you know, we hope to see way more of. It's, it's okay to experiment if kids are involved as long as you're continuing to, you know, update your practices based on what you're experiencing. So, so Absolutely. If, if anybody wants more information about tiny schools, you know, where can they go to access it? For sure. So if you go to our website at 4PT0 4.0, 4PT0.org, there's information there in our programming about how you can come actually to, we have a three-day workshop called Essentials, where you can bring your idea for a school model, and we will workshop it with you, and you'll leave that workshop with a two-week, within two weeks you can be testing that in a very much sort of a pop-up way. We also are now managing Startup Weekend education events all over the U.S. Those are also available on the 4PT0.org website. And some of those Startup Weekends are dedicated to people thinking about school models. But that doesn't prevent you. Any Startup Weekend education in the country, you can bring your idea to and we'll workshop it with you over the, over the weekend. And then the launch application actually has just gone live. Cohort 12 of Four Point of launch program where you will bring that school idea all the way through the food truck version to a working prototype that you've tested with families. That application is open now and live for pg0.org slash launch is where you can learn more about that. Folks can also follow us on Twitter at 4PG0Schools and on Facebook we're at 4.0, 4.0Schools. Uh, and if anybody wants to talk to me personally about it, my email is mcandler at 4PT0.org, and I'm on Twitter at, uh, at mcandler. So lastly, we are doing a fair amount of blogging and writing about what we're learning, and folks can find us uh, on our blog at futureofschool.org. Awesome. You heard it here first, people. You can send Matt as many emails as you want because he did indeed give you his email address. Is that correct? Fire away. Fire away. Let me hear all right. Well, thank you very much, Matt. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, Mary. Just so excited about it. Thanks, thanks. for having me. Okay, that's it for today. Big thanks to Matt Candler for hopping on the phone and discussing the Tiny Schools project with us. And thanks also to Eric Horowitz, Andrew Reichert, and all the other writers who contributed to Ed Surge this week. Hey, entrepreneurs, time is running out to participate in a 2015 summit. We have applications open for just two more events, our Pittsburgh Summit on November 4th and our St. Louis Summit on November 13th and 14th. You can check out the district priorities for both of those events to see if your company might be a good fit. In Pittsburgh, for example, one priority is tools to manage one-to-one implementation. And in St. Louis, they're looking for digital portfolios. Head to edsurge.com summits to review all the priorities and to apply. We definitely want to see you there. And we'd also like to see you applying for our Digital Innovation and Learning Awards. That deadline is coming up. Again, it tries to showcase really great practices of companies, organizations, entrepreneurs, and administrators. So there's a little something for everyone in there. Uh, hop over to delas.org for all of the details. And the deadline is August 24th. Apply or nominate soon. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll continue to tune in to EdSurge. Please hit that subscribe button on the podcast. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Betsy Corcoran. Thank you, and we will see you again next week. This is the EdSurge Podcast.